BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie fam. Today's episode is honestly incredible in my opinion. I know I'm biased, but for real. We are joined by Debbie Brown, who is the Chief Impact Officer at Chopra Global. Why can't I say that? Chopra Global. Debbie leads the daily meditation on the Chopra app and is the host of iHeartMedia's podcast, Dropping Gems. She is a seasoned broadcaster and multi-modality healing practitioner, just, it is so obvious in this conversation. She wears so many incredible hats. And I think today's episode is so insightful and helpful. And I know I will be listening to it on repeat because her words are just so incredibly powerful and exactly what I personally need to hear. And I think the Freckletuity family will feel the same way. I really, really admire her. And I think that she is so meaningful with her choice of words. And it, in my opinion, is an incredible conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy as much as I do. Obviously, please share your thoughts on social, screenshot, tag us, do all the things, rate, review. Um, Without further ado, let's dive in. Debbie, thank you so much for being with us. I'm really excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited for this. Our pre-convo was so good. So I can't I know. see what happens. Damn it. <laughs> like I always be recording is something that Dak Shepard says on his podcast. And I should be always recording because that part of the conversation we were talking all about motherhood and a lot of things that I've talked about across my platform. So this community knows is that like not everyone has to love the feeling of being pregnant. You know, you love the child. That's important. But we don't have to love these 10 months, not nine months, but 10 months. Big, bad 10 months. Yeah. And I was sharing, you know, I was one of those people. I was surrounded by, you know, a lot of a lot of other moms to be that were tapped into that goddess energy. And it was so like butterfly and rainbows and gorgeous to look you know, but for me, that was not my experience. Like pregnancy was agonizingly difficult for me. And, you know, it's hard to say that out loud. Sometimes there's like this stigma about sometimes talking about the real challenges of it. You know, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a birth. (laughs) It's my body, my organs are shifting. Like there's a human life being created in me that has its own functions and its movements. It's like, yeah, this is, challenging and you know especially the first time you've never done it before so you know just grace in all ways and we just have to expand and like 
knowing that as with everything, pregnancy is a multidimensional experience and Mm -hmm. people have varying degrees of, you know, what it is for them. It's a spectrum, you know, for some people it will be phenomenal and how amazing that that is, that that is meant to be the path for you. And for some, it's very, very difficult. And that was meant to be the path, you know, for me and it's fine and I accept it, but I can say that it was challenging. (laughs) Yes. And I think that's honestly been my number one lesson. I have always struggled a bit with comparison in all aspects of my life, especially in today's day and age with social media, it's really easy to compare. And one thing I've learned with pregnancy, and I think it continues with motherhood, is that you can't compare your journey to anyone else's because they're all so uniquely different. And I had friends who had incredibly easy pregnancies, not one symptom. They loved it. But, you know, at the same time, they it took them over a year to get pregnant. And I had a really difficult, especially first trimester, um, but I got pregnant without even trying. It was a surprise. So, you know, everyone's journey is so different. And I think we just have to accept and respect that and realize that like the path you're on is for, I don't know, a reason, but like you're headed in your own direction. Yes. Yes. And we're allowed to feel our own feelings. Like I remember one time I was talking to a friend and, you know, I was, um, I was sick all the way up to delivery day. Like I had morning sickness and threw up even on the day I delivered. So for me, as someone that is really has a really vibrant energy, I'm really enthusiastic to not have access to that for 10 months was so depressing for me. It was really psychologically challenging. And I was sharing this with a friend and, you know, her response, because very often we don't really have access to a lot of emotional literacy sometimes, or the ability to just kind of hold space. Like there are some communication skills that, you know, we could all, we could all stand to like really build up. Um, You know, my friend's response to me sharing that was just, oh no, but you know, like you got to think of it this way. Some people can't get pregnant. And it's like, Yes, in theory, that's true. That also has nothing to do with me and my journey. We're each on our individual paths. And what you're actually telling me is to bypass my own feelings, to bypass mm-hmm. my own experience, you know, and we have to stop doing that. When when people go through anything, like like the courage to share it and seek support and then to respond, well, it could be worse. Well, but look at this. No, let's allow people to feel what they're feeling. It doesn't have to be compared. And maybe we'll get to that point, right? But let me feel whatever it is that I feel in that moment. Um, and, And that can be enough. I don't have to rush to find the lesson in it. I don't have to rush to find the gratitude in it. Or, And I absolutely don't have to compare it to this scenario that is not a part of my life in this moment, you know? I talk about this a lot. So I love that you brought this up. Um, I call it the suffering Olympics. And I've shared a few, like I've shared a few articles about it on my Instagram story. And I've talked about it a lot. And I I personally struggle with this a ton because I feel a lot of guilt when I feel sad emotions and the guilt compounds onto those. And the yeah. guilt is, well, I... I'm in such a privileged place. I shouldn't be upset because people have it worse than me. And my therapist is like, people having it worse, someone having it worse than you. And you can take COVID, for example, like this past year, I have had the privilege of spending majority of the year at 
two of my parents' homes. And I was able to get out of our apartment. I was able to get out of New York. We ended up spending majority of the time in my parents' house in Florida and then in my childhood house in New Jersey. And I'm so grateful that that was my just opportunity. And that was the situation that I was in and I was able to do that. But I still really struggle with anxiety and I was having still a hard time of just the anxiety of the world. And I felt a lot of guilt because the whole time while I'm anxious, I'm thinking, but people have it so much worse than me. Like, I can't be sad. I can't be anxious. Look at what I have in comparison to what others have. And this suffering Olympics is never helpful because A, the person that you're comparing yourself, like typically you're putting yourself in a realm that isn't even close to your reality at all. And like, you can't relate to those emotions because you've never gone through that other person's situation, similar to how you were saying, like, yeah, yeah, you, you know, okay, like you're going to have a baby and you'll, you eventually like, it'll all be worth it, but you're still allowed to like have those feelings at that time. You don't have to compare it to someone else's journey. And it's something that I definitely, definitely struggle with. And sometimes it stops me from really tapping into my emotions and like working through them because I automatically will shut them down and be like, well, you don't get to feel like this. Yeah. 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 And this is the thing, you know, regardless, regardless of what any of the comparables are, like we are each allowed the dignity of our process and Mm -hmm. we have to allow ourselves that. And we have to extend that to other people. It's really dangerous, dangerous to get into comparative um, scenarios. You know, it's like, yeah, should we be aware of the structures in society that have created really different realities for people? Hell yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We should be seeking in all moments to make sure that no one is denied access to the basic human rights that they deserve. And, you know, um, there's so much about this society that has to shift, you know? Yes. But in the moment, in terms of our individual life circumstance, it's, it's dangerous to compare anything as better than or worse than someone else because then you're taking yourself out of your experience and you're only experiencing it through the lens of the perception and projection you've created about someone else's experience. Mm-hmm. And then you get into this loop that's just not serving. Like our experience is ours, our spiritual curriculum is ours, and we need to in each moment seek to find what is the deepest truth of this experience for me. How is this meant to expand me? How is this meant to ultimately lead this moment to be in service for the highest good of others and myself, you know? Totally. And I think exactly what you said is something I've spoken with about or spoken about with my therapist and the Freckled Foodie community is I don't think really anything beneficial comes from guilt. Um, I don't think it causes any type of actual action. And so me sitting there feeling guilty over these things is not helping me. And it's not helping the people that I feel guilty about. So it's not serving anyone. If I'm able to work through those emotions and then realize I'm angered or frustrated or upset by the disparity of what's happening in our world, then I can actually put those into action and do things to hopefully change that. But the guilt, I think, just paralyzes us. And this is for this specific situation, but for any other situation, the guilt of comparing and the suffering Olympics, it paralyzes you in that moment. And it it doesn't benefit anyone in this situation. It just continues to hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. Everything always has to be free flowing. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's like um, any emotion that we feel, it's just meant to be like a marker or something to observe, like a warning sign or just, you know, a, a road marker on the journey to just stop and say, what is this? How do I feel? How is it flowing? Do I want to hold it? Can I release it? Am I giving myself permission to move through it, you know, um, but staying mm-hmm. stuck in any of them and not allowing them to freely flow in whatever way they're supposed to. Um, you know, we just miss, we miss opportunity when we do that. Absolutely. We can be as healed or as wounded as we choose, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there is an opportunity in every situation to adjust and I, like pivot, I guess. And that does bring me a bit to a topic I wanted to talk about because when I think about a moment for me that was like a dark time or a, a really hard time, I was hit by a car while I was crossing the street and I suffered from a bad concussion. And it would have been very easy for me to feel just anger towards the person and frustration at the situation and a lot of negative emotions. And of course, I felt those at one point, but I also worked through them. And on the other side of it, felt an immense sense of gratitude for being alive and for having this wake up call and for really like taking the time to reflect on my life and decide what I wanted to do. And it was the ultimate driving force that changed my career and forced this pivot. And so I, after disability, went back to work um, at JP Morgan and decided that it was time for me to leave and pursue Freckled Foodie full time. So for me, that was kind of my main pivot of life. But I'm curious, you have definitely had a huge pivot. You worked in radio broadcasting, correct? For like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So what- Yeah, a little bit over. Yeah. What caused your career pivot and change? And I can't believe I'm saying pivot so many times without laughing, because if you watch Friends, the pivot scene of Ross moving the sofa up the stairs and they scream pivot, like it's all I hear whenever I hear the word pivot. So I'm trying not to yell it out. That is so funny. Yeah. You know, um, I think my story, it's just, it's a pivot. Yes. But also like, I think the deeper thing was for me, it wasn't even just about I'm ready to pivot careers. I was just ready to expand my life and to Mm -hmm. give it freedom and to follow the things that felt more deeply connected to how I was supposed to show up in the world. And, you know, originally I started my career in entertainment and broadcasting, um, really worked uh, initially like in hip hop and in the music industry and for well over a decade. And, you know, it served me and it was really fun and it taught me, you know, things and gave me a lot of skills that I still use right now in my work, you know, being able to use your voice every day for Mm -hmm. close to 15 years, you know, being able to have compelling conversations that are led by your curiosity, being able to connect to an audience, you know, um, I still do that every day, but I'm just controlling what it is that I'm talking about and what it is that I'm spending my time doing. And I think, you know, it's when you make that switch in general from like a a very uh, structured workflow or a corporate work gig, which I had working for different, you know, media companies, moving into entrepreneurship. I mean, it is like culture shock. Night and day. And it takes time, you know, and and I think the biggest thing that was the lesson for me and all that was 
you know, you have to give yourself the opportunity to be new at something and to be not good at it and to not know. And I really had to look at it through that lens. Like the first two years of making that switch, I knew that I made the right choice. Like I followed God's voice in my life. I followed my own internal GPS, but I still kind of hated it at first. You know, it was still, it was still hard. It was still like, you feel like you don't know what you're doing. Um, And then I had to look at it really objectively. And I was like, well, you were an expert in a field. You had already earned your stripes in that field. You had, you know, had the years in the trenches. You were an intern. You climbed, you climbed, you became an expert. And now you're moving into a completely different space. And it's not starting over, but it's allowing yourself to ease into this process and not be perfect at it immediately, not have it all figured out and have all the resources you need right away. And it's like, when I shifted that, it was more about, let me just enjoy this moment. Let me see what it feels like to be able to be new and free and not quite know which way you're being led and just go with it and trust your intuition and trust your creativity. It made the whole, um, it made the whole pivot have so much more ease and grace to it. Um, And it allowed me to be a lot more graceful with myself in the process, but it's challenging. It's really challenging to start, to start anything new, even when you know it's the thing you're meant to do in life. I relate to all of that so much because when I left, I remember thinking like, I'm going to be the happiest person in the world. I'm going to finally be my own boss. I'm going to get to do what I want to do. I'm going to set my own schedule. Like I I had been running my account on the side as like a side hustle hobby. And I, I kept saying to myself, I'm going to have so much time to focus on this. This is amazing. It's everything I've wanted for the past year or more. And I had this conversation with my mom at one point. And it was when my anxiety was really bad. And I'd gone to see my doctor and talked about going on anxiety medication. And my mom and my doctor asked me, are you more anxious than you were when you were in the corporate world? And immediately I was like, no, oh my God, no. Like I went from sales and trading to this, like, absolutely not. There's no way. My mom was in the office with me because it was actually my neurologist. And she she was concerned that I had still had post-concussion symptoms for like a year after the accident. She wanted to be there. She turned to me and she's like, I love you, but you're definitely more anxious now. And it was so hard for me to hear because in my mind, I was like, but I'm supposed to be happy. This is what I wanted to do. I'm supposed to be less anxious. I'm not in this crazy, intense work environment anymore. Like this isn't what's quote unquote supposed to be happening. And I think it was because I had put so much pressure on the fact that I'm someone who really likes instant gratification. And I had put this pressure on like, well, if I leave immediately, I will have what I want. I will have figured it out. I will have suddenly grown this account. I will have a career. like, And that's just not the reality. And there's so much learning to be done. As you said, you go from being a expert or just someone who knows what they're doing in a field to completely being a new person. And it's not like I walked in as an intern at JP and was like, give me the clients, let's start trading. But that's how I almost entered this new space. (laughs) Um, You have to to grieve different aspects of what did feel serving in that previous career. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the collaborative environment, like you grieve that. Being able to, you know, something I missed was like, 
being in meetings and having really great ideas and being recognized for them. You know, it's like my ideas were still great, but it's just me in the room. And so (laughs) there's no applause. There's no feedback. There's no, you know, person to bounce something off and that really satisfying feeling of when you get it or when you feel seen or when, you know, there is this energetic flow. It's like you miss being in a team sport almost. And you're now having this very isolated experience. I was an athlete my entire life all the way through college. So I really relate to that. And it was one of my favorite things about the job I had. It was so team oriented and it's something I really struggled with in the beginning. And I'm still kind of navigating as an entrepreneur of like what this looks like and bringing people on to assist me with things, but also to just bounce ideas off of because it can be very isolating. And I I do think this also relates to another topic I wanted to discuss, which is when you are your own boss, it's really hard to shut off. And I have really been trying to work on setting boundaries and, you know, I struggled so much with if I did anything during the day in the beginning, I would have guilt of like, but I would have never done this in the corporate world. But at the same time, for me, the corporate world ended at like six-ish and I had my weekends, which I know is rare, but in my job, I did. And I'm working all weekend. I work, last night I worked until 10 o'clock. Like, so there's, there is a balance where now I feel more comfortable doing stuff during the day, but I have a really hard time shutting off. And I struggle a lot with this term that you've used and discussed, which is like the badge of busy, because I think especially in New York City and, you know, probably LA as well, we love to brag about how busy we are. Like it's everyone's favorite thing to say. Yeah. Um, And I noticed that like people would ask, how are you doing? And I automatically would say, oh, I'm so busy. I'm like, I'm not even busy. Like what? I'm I'm not busy in this moment. Why did those words just come out of my mouth? Mm -hmm. So can you kind of explain to my listeners just like the concept of the badge of busy and then how we can work away from it? Because I don't think it's serving us. No, my gosh, it's not serving us at all. And it's like, you know, even, even in the way that we approach even building our own schedules. It's like, we don't have to keep this false productivity, this, you know, this really this Henry Ford system of conveyor belt assembly line, keep going work day that, you know, eight to five every day. And that, why do we keep that same model of factory assembly schedule to how we have access to our creative flow and how we move in our individual industries. You know, it's like this moment in time is really such a great opportunity to kind of create like this bespoke experience for our lives. And I think one of the gifts of the pandemic was, at least for me personally, it really helped me reimagine how my time could be felt, used, experienced, you know, and just really revolutionize my day-to-day life and kind of turn it on its head. I think, um, you know, the biggest reason we're so connected to this idea of busyness is because so many of us actually, even when we think we're empowered with self-love, we equate our worth with our productivity. We equate our worth with martyrdom. We equate our worth with how busy we look to other people or how seemingly successful we are, how comparative we are with others, you know? And so I I found that the more we nourish 
our individual spirits, the more that we are, instead of looking at the career or the title, but we're looking at what is my mission in this life? Am I on track with my mission? Am I on track with the level of impact I want to have? Is there opportunity to deepen my purpose and whatever I'm doing? We kind of fall away from these societal constructs, these systems that have been in place that we realize don't really feel like us, you know? I've had to completely reevaluate even even the flow that I want for my work week. And I found that I spend less time working, but I am far more creative now, far more receiving such a stronger response to my work, having more opportunities than ever, even, you know, at the baseline of it, being able to make much more money, but the hours of what I'm actually doing have been cut down significantly Like I don't, I go by, I personally set up my calendar to be in the flow of like the planetary system. So I've really got my calendar locked in with this day lends itself to being one of your most productive days. Schedule all the meetings on this day. This day is really in alignment with creative self-expression. Use this day as the day that you create. This is the day that you're recording the podcast. This is the day that you're writing. This is the day that you're responding with your creative treatments to clients, you know? And then some days are like days of rest. I'm like, this is the day I'm going to feed my creativity. We have to have factor in time to actually let our unique purpose flow in us, to actually access our our sacred creativity so that we can show up to work and it just has an ease and a flow to it. You know, this idea of working hard is what equates to success. You know, what is what is the barometer of hard? Is it based on this societal system that has trained us to serve it and not to serve ourselves? You know, I don't want to live my life based on capitalistic constructs that I didn't have a hand in creating. You know, and so mm-hmm. every time I feel guilt or feel comparison, I'm always saying, let me investigate this. Let me view this with curiosity. Let me just deep dive in this. What is me and what is a system that I don't want to be a part of? What is me and maybe what is my wounding? You know, like in just evaluating each thing, what feels the most true? Where is there opportunity to infuse more ease? Um So that's something I I really love about this moment in time. I think we have this great opportunity to, for, for many to really retrain and recreate and reimagine what, what is a work day? What is, you know, office culture? What, what is productivity, you know, and really just look at what serves what our ultimate goal is, which is our purpose, which is our mission, which is the way we are meant to arrive in this world with impact. I'm going to listen to that recording like every morning because that was (laughs) everything I needed to hear. And I've noticed this over the past, I've been doing this now full-time three years. And I've said this to my husband, I notice very clearly in moments of anxiety or fear or stress, I grasp things very tightly because I like to feel as if I have control. Even though it's a false sense of control, my anxiety feels a little comforted comforted when I have that. But when I'm grasping my work life so tightly and I'm obsessing over it and I'm just sitting in front of my computer waiting to respond to things, Mm. that's where I feel so stagnant 
career-wise. And that's where I notice things come to me less, whether it be creativity, whether it be opportunity, whether it be financially. It is very clear to me, and it sounds so counterintuitive, but once I actually like had the concrete evidence of this, I've leaned into it. When I let go a bit and just follow my passion and my heart and where I truly want to spend time and what I want to be doing, and I'm at my happiest and I'm quote unquote in flow, that's when things come. That's when opportunities arise. That's Mm -hmm. when I'm receiving the best feedback. That's when I financially actually do the best. And I think that there's obviously privilege wrapped up in that, that has to be acknowledged, the opportunity to be able to like take that kind of risk. But I have found great success by like stepping back a bit and not obsessing like I used to. And I think the, I'm a millennial and the way we were raised was our parents, like definition of success was they were in the office all day. And I came from two parents who worked in finance and that was just what we were always told. And you had to have a corporate job and You know, I think this past year, when you take the pandemic and you take the eye-opening of majority of our country to the racist institutions that have been built so long ago and continue to run, I think there has been a step back because we notice how uh, what a white supremacist system capitalism truly is. And I I've, I've had this conversation when it comes to diet culture, and I think that they're both aligned almost where a lot of people are kind of waking up to this and realizing, I don't want to be a part of that system. I don't want to continue that. And if that means maybe stepping back or like not being so hard on myself or giving myself grace, then like, why wouldn't I lean into that? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're really reevaluating every fiber of this structure that is American life, you know, that um, is human life. Every piece of it, the way that we parent, the, the way that we were parented, you know, um, the way we experience our own love for ourselves, our time, the way that we compare, the way that we work, the way that we spend time with ourselves, what is quality time with self, you know, mm-hmm. the way we live in our homes, like we are just, it's its such a really, truly special time to be alive. As frustrating as that feels and depending on what the experiences of this year are, how challenging that may be, it's seeped in opportunity. It's seeped in alchemy. It's seeped in transformation in every way. And it's so important to see that piece of it. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to a bit of your work over this past year discussing spiritual shedding and generational trauma mm-hmm. and the, the work that you're doing trying to help promote modalities specifically for like millennial and Gen Z women of color. Can you touch on that a bit of just like the baseline of generational trauma and complex PTSD and then what these modalities are that you're promoting, I guess, help work through that? It's really, my work is rooted in the approach of of holistic wellness, which is Mm -hmm. approaching everything from the standpoint of how it's affecting mind, body, and soul. And so all of my work, and my work is varied, right? Like I'm the voice of meditation for a global app. I speak to a multitude of things on there. I, um, I create curriculum for different companies. I come in and assess wellness culture for companies and build out systems. I've 
you know, aided in building out educational programs and scholarship programs around getting people certified in different healing modalities. Um, But the core of my work is always rooted and in service to helping people remember their innate wholeness and really creating um, systems and resources for there to be more ease and joy in the healing process. And I think, um, you know, specifically, specifically in the wellness industry as it relates to people of color, you know, there are, there is such a culture of spiritual bypass and sometimes spiritual narcissism, narcissism, even in this industry, because for facilitators and teachers of this work, if you are not really educating yourself on people's barriers to healing, um, there's a lot of danger in that. And there's a lot of opportunity to really, um, to really aid in people feeling stuck or feeling unable to move through some of this. And, you know, we all have our own personal responsibilities in our curriculum and, you know, the things that we're meant here to learn, which are ours, but for people that are charged with being light workers and have stepped into that role or being teachers or healers or facilitators, you know, it's immensely important to be aware of the effects of, you know, complex post-traumatic stress like CPTSD, to be aware of the need to get out of just the cognitive functioning of working through our healing and our journey and see it as such a layered and also um, just multifaceted issue. It's, it's like if you are a woman of color and you're coming into a healing space to heal you're getting, you know, information about how to do that in tools, but unless you're also informed that once you walk out that door, no matter how much work you're doing on yourself, you're still living in a system that was designed to suppress you and that was designed to make you innately feel unworthy of more, unworthy of love, unworthy of healing, you know, and this for all women that has been a system in place, um, it's just really important for us to be aware of these things so that we can move around them for our highest good. And so I think all of the facets of the work that I do, whether it's on my podcast, whether it's, you know, in person, workshop, speaking, all the things, you know, it's always, it always comes back to that. And also just an encouragement for each person to find their own individual recipe for healing. You know, mm-hmm. we are our own healers. We're our own gurus. And how do we start amassing our unique toolboxes with what we need and what and trusting our ability to gauge that and trusting our ability to self-regulate? Absolutely. And you mentioned, I mean, you wear so many hats, which is so impressive. And you mentioned that you are you do lead the daily meditation on the Chopra app and as I mentioned, I, I know in the pre-show, I forget if I mentioned it once we've been recording, but I am a deep believer in meditating and I have meditated for now, I think three years and it has changed my life wholeheartedly. And I'm so grateful that the people close to me in my life has have acknowledged that change and witnessed that change and actually begun their own meditative practices. But I also find that a lot of people are intimidated by meditating because I think that they fear they can't reach this, this like level of bliss that has almost been like falsely sold by media to equate meditating, which I don't think is the reality. And 
you know, I don't think there should ever be expectations when it comes to meditating. I don't think that you should be comparing your meditation to someone else's, similar to what we've talked about, just comparing journeys. But I think that that is a big roadblock for people. And so for anyone who's listening that is potentially interested in, you know, they they know meditating is great and they've heard about all the benefits and they want to start, but they just don't know where to begin. What would you recommend for them? I think, you know, the thing that we have to keep in mind is we can't keep applying these same systems to new understandings or the areas that we're looking to radically change. So like everything you just described is viewing meditation through the eyes of a win-loss system, right? Mm -hmm. Like even this idea that I don't want to approach meditation because I'm not going to be able to win it. I'm not going to be able to be in bliss and do this. And, you know, it's like, it's also this like predictive behavior of you trying to see an outcome for something you just don't know yet. Trying to see an outcome for a version of yourself you haven't become yet. You know, there's no way to actually fathom it until you start peeling back the layers, until you start, you know, pulling that one piece of yarn and the knot slowly out and then seeing what's to come and creating the space of pure potentiality, which is that gap, the place in between thoughts where anything can be made manifest. You know, and I think we find this work when we're ready. So, you know, I always say I'm not here to convince anyone to meditate. If there is a harshness and a rigidity to it, you know, you have to follow that path and you have to find the ways to soften to the flow of whoever you're being called to become. And that is an individual journey. There's no judgment. If you want to stay firmly rooted and not meditating for the rest of your life, that is your choice. And it doesn't affect anyone else, but you, you know, but it's really like, how do we see what we personally need? And one thing is for certain, every person that has ever lived, including myself has said to themselves before learning how to meditate, I can't do this. I think too much. There's no way I'm too busy. I think too many thoughts. That is not a, that's not a unique belief, you know? So if that's the limitation, well, we've all thought it me too. I meditate for two hours a day, you know, like we've all thought that to ourselves. Um, It's really just about us discovering our own boundaries and againstness, you know, what, if this is something that you do feel interested in and feel a little called to, um, what is keeping you from doing something that you feel could be nourishing? And the bigger fear, I think, of meditation, all meditation is at its core is being still and being silent. Being still and being silent, it's free. We can do it anytime, anywhere. But even something as simple as that can feel so deeply triggering um, because if we have spent our lives avoiding ourselves with noise, with fun, with experiences, the idea of being still and silent means you might meet yourself for the very first time and you don't know what you'll find there. You know, and I think that's what the bigger fear of it is. But I just I recommend trying and I recommend continuing to try. It's a practice. It's not something you'll perfect. You know, we are just practicing it and getting whatever gifts and opportunity are in each moment of it that we can. And there's no way to do it wrong. There's no way to get it wrong. And no one has to know what this journey looks or feels like for you unless you want them to. It really is such a deeply 
intimate experience with yourself. Um, and the benefits are endless. You know, there are so many health stats on it. It's like, yeah, it's lowering blood pressure. It's, it's improving brain function, your organs. It's, it's a phenomenal, you know, tool for physical health and vitality. But then there's the emotional places, all the little rooms that it leads you to inside of yourself, all of the new knowings and insights, all of the freedom it gives you, all of the opportunity to take things off of your shoulders, um, and really just to connect with yourself and your God and feel safe inside of your body. You know, when I close my eyes sometimes, it is like I have tapped into this galaxy that exists inside of my chest, this space in me that has no limitations, that I don't have to try to control, that I don't have to try to predict, that I don't have to master. I, I just get to float. I get to melt. I get to soften. I get to be, you know, and that's what connects me most to it. So, you know, I've gotten to a, a, a point where I've been meditating almost 10 years. And, you know, there were times I'd take huge chunks off of meditating and just did not want to do it. Sometimes even had like an angry, irritated reaction about it. And now I'm in a place in my life where every chance I get, I close my eyes. I'll be mid-conversation with someone and want to just savor the energy and just need to close my eyes. Um, And I love being there. And I think that's the space of self-created peace that we all have access to. So if that resonates with anyone, I just say, try and keep trying. There doesn't have to be a pressure to it. You don't have to try to win it. You're not proving anything to yourself or anyone else. Just try and then try longer and try more. I resonate so much with that because for me, it ties into the badge of busy. I was like, I'm too busy to meditate. No way. I don't have time to give. I am the busiest human on the face of the earth. And obviously I knew the benefits of it, but I was so, so, so resistant. A few of my friends were trying to convince me and I was just like, guys, you don't understand how busy I am. And they're like, Cam, you don't understand that if you start doing this, you will somehow gain time. I know it sounds counterintuitive, yeah. but you will gain time in your day. And it wasn't until after my accident that I had all the time in the world on disability that I started. And I totally understand what they were saying. But again, yeah. you cannot force someone. I wanted my husband to meditate for a year before he started. And I eventually was like, you know what? I have to stop trying to force him to do this. And he eventually decided he wanted to start on his own. He's been meditating for almost like a year and a half now. It's the best thing that's ever happened to him. I say there's nothing sexier than a man who meditates. Um, But it's so true when you let go of these when you when you sit down and really assess why am I so hesitant to do it and still on the days where I notice I'm resistant towards it, it's often because I'm trying to get in my own way without realizing. I'm trying to make it seem like I'm more important than I am and there's too much to do. And well, and not even that, you're just judging it, you know, and mm-hmm. we're taught that. That's a learned response. We're taught to judge and have an opinion about everything, but specifically we're taught 
to judge ourselves in each moment and to accept the projections from our own minds and from other people and find a way that it leads back to us. And so part of the gift of meditation is the opportunity to be the observer, you know, to really step outside of yourself and be that extra energy in your own body that's observing the the other voice in your head that is directing, you know, and it's like- absolutely. I love looking at moments like that just with like a little more fun, curiosity, like, hmm, why am I thinking that right now? What is that thought? What's the deeper meaning of that thought? As opposed to, oh my God, oh, why do I think that? Why is that in my head? You know, it's like looking at it like, oh, wow, that just came up. What does that mean? What am I meant to know about it? Mm -hmm. You know, and just giving yourself that graceful curiosity, that, that gentleness, that everything has to mean something about you. Not everything has to be a judgment or a strong opinion about why you're doing it, how you're doing it. So much of what we do is just like this ridiculous, subtle influence that has been constantly, um, you know, pressed into us from our families, from society, from our past. And it's like all the opportunities that we have to just look at it and see, is that really the truth of how I feel? Is that really my authentic voice? Whose voice is that? You know, and just ask it questions. I think curiosity is so important and tapping into almost like that childlike mindset because we used to ask all the questions in the world when we were kids. So true. <laughs> and then we stop. And I yeah, am very like, curious. Why? 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 Oh, but yeah. Why? But why? <laughs> but mom, why? But why? why? I don't. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure it's so frustrating for parents. However, it's incredible to watch a child really have this like endless curiosity. And I think that we're almost taught to let go of that as we grow because you're, you're quote unquote supposed to know when we don't. And yeah. I think tapping into that curiosity is really important. And I feel like I could talk to you for hours on end about so many things. And I'm realizing we just got so into such in, we got into such great conversation. I didn't want to like pivot to the first question that I always kick the show off with. However, I will close with the, sh the question that I always ask. So unrelated to everything we've discussed, but what would be the three ways to your heart through food? Three ways to my heart through food. Oh God. Oh, I love food. Um, Wait, how? I don't even it's know so how hard. to answer this. Uh. <laughs> it can be as specific or generic as you'd like. Okay. Some people have like a very, like, you know, Italian food, or some people are like this exact okay. sandwich from this exact place. Uh, okay, definitely one of the ways to my heart through food is spice. I take so much pride in my spice cabinet in my house. I'm not a regular cook, I'm not a constant cook, but. I know how to spice some dishes. I know how to marinate. And so that is like my favorite way of sharing love with it's food important. and giving myself more love um, is by having a collection of really delicious spices. Um, another way to my heart through food is hmm, my favorite cuisine is really like tapas style. Like if I were to have just this huge table with all these little plates and I could walk by and like pick and taste and nibble, that would be my dream meal and my dream evening. And then another way to my heart through food is making, like having a multi-sensory experience, like really like just 
smelling and, you know, taking time to close my eyes, chew slowly, feel the foods. Um, yeah, multi-sensory experience with food is my jam. Something that is so overlooked in today's day and age. We're like scarfing down meals and it's like, okay, now what? And I agree, like yeah. the actual time to enjoy the food and like process what you're eating is so important, not only for the digestive aspect, but also for like the pleasure. It's so multifaceted. So thank you so much for being on here. This was so incredible. I'm so inspired by you and your work. And I really think that this will resonate with my listeners. For everyone who's listening and has like been nodding their head the entire time and wants more of you, where should they follow you? Hit me on the gram, just at Debbie Brown. And my link in bio has linked to all the things I do. Perfect. All of that will be in the show notes. I will also link your podcast. Everything that people need to get more of you will all be in the notes. Thank you so much for being on here. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Such a joy. Thank you so much. And sending so many good vibes to that tummy and all of the things. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, friends. Since today's episode was a decently long one, I just like couldn't stop talking to Debbie and I could have asked her 10,000 questions. I said this in the episode, but I honestly could have listened to her speak for hours on end. She was so inspiring to me. Um, I don't have much to share at the end of this episode as like my solo portion. Honestly, things have been a little cray over here because I'm going into full nesting mode while also trying to deal with the construction, potential construction of our apartment and our contractor ghosting us and finding a new one. So it's a bit madness, but I honestly, I feel better. I went through a very, very anxious period of time. Um, I did in fact increase my anxiety medication subscription with, Jesus Christ, not subscription. I was just filming ads. Um, Medication, prescription is the word I was looking for. Because we had talked about it in the beginning that it was probably going to happen with pregnancy. I guess your water, your your body absorb. What is, I cannot speak. I guess your body has like a higher water retention or something. And so it absorbs medicine differently later on in the term of your pregnancy. So it wasn't by much, but either way, it has helped me immensely. So I'm grateful for that. I'm just honestly trying to go with the flow as much as I possibly can and do what I can now. So I washed all of his clothes. I cannot freaking handle how cute baby clothes are. Cannot handle. But I washed all of his clothes and like put them away and on these little baby hangers. And I like I'm setting up the bottles and all of the electronics we have. So we're trying to get ahead of what we can, but also like the baby's going to have us a lot of love, my boobs, so long as breastfeeding works, otherwise formula and diapers. And that is all a baby really needs. So that's what's happening over here in my life. I feel a little like not unmotivated, but I just don't feel that creative right now with content. So I feel I've been a little MIA, but you know, we all go through these periods. I go through ups and downs of creativity. And Debbie honestly kind of mentioned this, like leaning into the times where you're creative and doing other tasks when you're not. So that's what I'm trying to do. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. Again, if you did, please subscribe, rate, and review. I actually talked about this in the episode last week about how I feel like icky about public reviews. And then I got like a really mean one and I shared it on my Instagram. And it's like, I just don't get it. But, you know, people can say what they want to say. It is what it is. I love you all. Thank you for listening. Thank you.
You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.